0: This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Welcome to episode four of Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. where are your two babes, Sarah and Nick, and uh, I think we're just going to get right into it. I mean, what do you think about this UFC buyout?
1: Wow, there was a lot of events that happened this weekend, or I guess last weekend, uh, in UFC. They got the buyout. There was a couple fighters that were, uh, well, one fighter that was suspended for taking estrogen blockers. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah, it's been a crazy thing. They brought in a wrestler that used to fight for UFC, and he was in WWE. Then they brought him back for this UFC 200. But the amount of money UFC made on their sale.
0: Holy cow
1: do you know how much they sold that company for
0: how much was it
1: i believe it was 4 billion
0: you know i was reading about that yeah it was 4 billion
1: and i think they bought it for 2 million so in the 12 15 years they had it how much money did they make yeah wow it's crazy
0: that's just a ton of money but i was reading that one of the investors is the guy that owns dell i think
1: yeah there's there's, there's a, a few it's, yeah, it's a and it, it technically hasn't come out in the mainstream yet. Yeah. Uh, there's rumors out there but you can't really go off rumors cuz right. you know how the internet is.
0: Well, they're going to blow this UFC up. Like it's going to be in movies and it's going to be Oh, TV it's going to be a lot bigger. Gonna the be. fighters are
1: going to get a lot more money, which yeah. would be good for them. Yeah. Um, more people would want to get involved. It is it is going to be w- wicked.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see what happens with it anyway. So um, have you been watching this thing about Pokemon Go? Like, what is going on here? And people like, I don't understand.
1: Sarah, I this Pokemon Go thing. It's it's kind of blowing my mind.
0: And it didn't it blow Twitter out of the water it, yesterday. It, it, or something it blew like that? Twitter
1: out of the water. It, technically, it's only open in two countries. We live in Canada, but people are creating fake accounts in Australia or US just to play this game. I'm driving home mm-hmm. and I'm seeing children not even paying attention on the sidewalk. <gasps> Looking at their phone. Just like There's going to be good things and there's going to be bad things right, that right, are going right. to come about it. I, I kind of appreciate it because I like people with passion and, and that get involved and that really want this. I'm a bit old so I never was in Pokemon. I know it's a bit younger generation than me that's really all up in arms about it. But I think it's going to cause a lot of distractions and all that, but then it's also good because now Google is going to have opportunities because to what I found out uh, yesterday doing a bit of research on this Pokemon Mm -hmm. is that you got to log into Google Maps. So this game, it's connected to Google Maps and you got to keep looking around your map. So it'll come up on your smart device, ISO, whatever you got. And it will have different landmarks, and different landmarks are normally where Pokemon are. So it okay. is going to make kids more active. They are going to want to go out and go for walks, but then they're also not going to be paying attention to crossing the road and yes. all this That's other stuff. That's
0: part of the issue. I was li- I was listening to the TV yesterday, and it was saying it was drawing kids to, a, like, a rehab center.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah it and was I g-
0: was and, – and, like, there's sex offenders there, and there's drug addicts, and there's, you know, that – that cannot be a good thing. But I do see some good things coming out of it. Oh, like, there,
1: there is going to be good things, but there's also going to be a lot of bad things. Yeah. Like, I also heard that there was uh, people luring kids um into a certain area saying that there's pokemon here or putting down lures there's there's a couple different things i'll get more into that in a moment but um and and what they do then once when all the kids go there they normally have all the new iphones that their parents bought for them whatever then they hijack the kids phones or or devices or whatever they're using to play this game
0: wow that's crazy i mean on the good side i really think that it's going to help us with uh or help not us but maybe the artificial intelligence community Right? Because it's sort of that next step into, you know, the virtual reality that sort of goes into the artificial intelligence.
1: And that is true. But I also think that with society the way it is and, and with uh, media, that now the curtains are going to be open. You're, you're never going to have any privacy because since you have to log into Google Maps, you're, you're bringing out your map and your phone to look inside your house, to look for a Pokemon. What do you think Google's doing with all those images that okay. they're gathering? Good so point. so now they already know what the world looks like on the outside from all their vehicles that they drive and record and everything. But now they're going to start getting information what you have in your house huh. or, or what most people have. Oh, okay, th- these, these guys in this district mostly have Xboxes. Okay, these guys over here mostly have places. And there is going to be some consequences from this game, I, I believe.
0: That's a really good point. You were telling me a story in Sydney, Australia? Oh,
1: Yeah, so I, I watch a, a, a YouTuber and uh, he's a scientist in Australia and he had his kids um, and he, he was just bringing them out for a walk, and he noticed his daughter mentioned to him saying that, Dad, what's going on? Everyone's on their phone. It took him a couple seconds to clue in, and then he realized it might be this new game, Pokemon Go. So then he started yelling out, like, who's on Pokemon Go? Now, he embarrassed his daughter a bit, but I could not believe there was hundreds, almost thousands of people, in the, and they're all on their phones. They're all like zombies in their own little world looking for Pokemon all over <laughs> Like, it is very, it, it's interesting, but it's very strange. I don't think I'll ever get into it. It might be very addictive. That's probably why I'm going to yeah, try and stay away from it. I don't but think
0: it's going to be good for me either. Yeah, yeah, it
1: is It is crazy. But there's also, so the Pokemon Go, what I got the gist is you download this app. Um, mostly um, structures or parks is where you're going to find most of the Pokemon. Yeah. But when you make your Pokemon money, I don't know what kind of currency they call it, you could buy lures and you need to catch the pokemon with a ball so you could throw out a lure i don't know how much a lure is or whatever you could probably buy it for regular dollars and for 30 minutes it will attract all these cool pokemon to your area but it will also tell other people in your vicinity that you dropped a lure so they're all going to start coming down
2: wow i
1: i also saw another story that um this guy was at his house and he had a knock on his door and He opened his door and it was two, a boy and a girl, a brother and sister. They were like under 13, under, over 10, under 13. They were pretty young. And they asked him, excuse me, sir, we noticed that you have a Pokemon in your backyard. Are you willing to let us go in your backyard so we could capture Pikachu? Because it was a Pikachu and I guess Pikachu is the main Pokemon. That's the only Pokemon I know. (laughs) Um, I don't know much uh, about you. you b- know by names. But, yeah, so so they actually knocked on this gentleman's door. And the gentleman was nice. He, he let him in the back to catch a Pikachu. But he was kind of excited, saying, why is a Pikachu in my backyard? <laughs> why isn't it in your backyard? Where do these Pikachus come from? What do I do?
0: Well, I think what we need to tell our listeners right now is that you might want to go and Buy Nintendo stocks.
1: <laughs> yeah, Nintendo stocks would be a good thing to invest in right now. They, I, I am
0: not giving you investment advice, but that's what I've just heard. So on that note, let's hear from our sponsor.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by IceCorp, the one source, one solution, one company for all your supply chain needs. Visit them at icecorp.ca. That's I-C-E-C-O-R-P dot C-A.
0: So earlier today, we sat down and spoke to Alex Fletcher. He is from Fletcher Supply Chain Group, and we talked all about RFQ, RFPs, and RFIs. We talked about from the um, procurement end or the, you know, the, the company that's actually issuing the RFP, RFQ, a lot of guidelines yeah. and, and key points. And, and,
1: and what the companies look for, What what's recommended to put in your... RFQ, RFI, RFP—it's it, quite um, a lot more in depth. It's quite a lot more in depth than what I initially thought.
0: Yeah. Well, if you if you if you've never really been through an RFQ or an RFP process, there's a lot of moving parts to it, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this interview because we wanted to, to get some insight from the issuer. And then we also wanted to get some insights from the issuer about the vendors and the um, solution providers that answer those RFPs. So I think our listeners today are really going to get a lot from this episode, so uh, let's get into it now. Today we are talking to Alex Fletcher of Fletcher Supply Chain Group, all about RFP, RFQ, and RFIs. I recently met Alex through an RFP I was working on, and he is very thorough, and I thought, who? better to talk to us about this this process than Alex Alexander Fletcher is the founder and managing partner for Fletcher Supply Chain Group a Boston based consulting firm under his leadership Fletcher Supply Chain Group delivers tailored Supply chain solutions with the purpose of driving value and reducing overhead costs for the client's business needs. His experience also includes exposure to worldwide assignments as a logistics readiness officer in the United States Air Force for 13 years, and this allowed him to gain a great amount of knowledge on the use of strategic sourcing, procurement, and logistics optimization tools. With a master's in logistics and supply chain, Alexander Fletcher possesses a broad Understanding of supply chain competencies, making him one of the most informed consultants in the supply chain solutions. So, welcome, Alex. Thank you for joining us on Two Babes Talk Supply Chain today.
2: Hello. Good morning. Thank you uh, for having
0: me. Yeah. So, your journey sounds really interesting, starting in the Air Force. Can you tell us a little bit about um, where you started and and your journey into supply chain and logistics?
2: Yeah, certainly. You know, uh, back in uh, 99, I was uh, a young guy, didn't have a lot of direction, so I said, well, what better way to fulfill my destiny than to uh, join the military? So uh, you know, I entered the Air Force, like I said, back in '99. Didn't know anything about logistics, didn't know anything about traffic management, or, or, even supply chain. I said, "Hey, what what can I do?" And They said, "Well, we're going to put you into uh, traffic management." Didn't know anything about that. Um, so I said, "Great!" And uh, went through training, and the uh, the station be up in uh, North Dakota, of all places. Now I'm a I'm a Florida boy by, uh, by uh, you know, my life there. So it was uh, a big uh, big change for me. So I did that for a few years. Really got to understand how you move inventory, how you move product. Uh, from there, I kind of bounced around, and went down to Oklahoma, went back to Florida for a little bit, uh, and then went over uh, overseas. And as I uh, as I grew in my career, I, I was able to gain a broader understanding of, of and, and solutions. So um, you know, I moved everything from bombs to bullets to beans to people, um, and. and when I finally capped off my career, uh, I was in Germany, uh, I was charged with moving human remains, of all things. And wow. so, as we had coalition partners downrange in Iraq and Afghanistan, that would uh, that would die downrange. It was my charge to ensure that we repatriated a lot of these remains back to their home countries. So, everyone always hears about uh, all the Americans that died downrange, but a uh, few people really talk about, well, what is Latvia doing? What is France doing? What is what is Italy doing, and so they too suffer uh, suffer losses. So uh, for Europe, I uh, I manage a lot of those uh, those logistical type of movements. Uh, so it's a little bit different pace, but uh, you know at that point, you know I look myself going, well, you know I've been in for about 11 years. Uh, what I'm doing is fun. It's great. Uh, it's exciting. I got to learn a lot about how the government and military moves um, people things. Uh, yeah, but i I, I still uh, wanted more so I left the service uh after uh, almost twelve years of service left the service going well let me let me see what else is out there
0: yeah and yeah so I,
2: I jumped into the the civilian world so to speak it was either that or staying for for another you know fifteen 20 thirty years or so so I still have friends that are in and uh it was, uh, it was a tough transition, but uh, you know, I think it was a right,
0: uh, right decision for me. Yeah, and that was a huge responsibility to be responsible for, for those remains and, and making sure they get back to those families. So thank you for your service, and um, let's get right into talking about RFP, RFQs, RFIs. Can you talk a little bit about the definition and what exactly it means?
2: Sure, sure. So on an RFI, that's, that's simply a request for information. Uh, it's, it's non-committing. It's typically when an organization is, is looking at what their needs are and they go, well, who who is out there? Who's, who's part of the playing field that we can turn to that may be able to provide a solution to us? So it, it's strictly a means to, to gather intel, to gather information about uh, a forthcoming initiative. Now, in terms of an RFQ, which is a request for quote, and RFP, request for proposal. A lot of organizations tend to use those terms interchangeably. Well, in fact, they're, they're quite different. Uh, an RFQ is typically for something specific. Um, uh, in my blog, I write about the use of a ladder. Okay, So you know that you need a ladder, you need a 10-foot ladder. Let's just put out to a, a few different companies to, to give us a, a true quote for that ladder pretty simple process. An RFP is, is typically when you don't have a solid solution or you need uh, a solution developed by an organization. Uh, so uh, we take a, take a house, for instance. Uh, you put out a, an RFP to, to build a house. You know that you want uh, a two-story house. You know you want a 3,000-square-foot house, but you don't necessarily know how to build it. So under an RFP, it's, it's asking for that solution and the corresponding pricing uh, to that solution, so they're they're a little bit different in in the regard regards to the RFQ and RFP, but the overall intent is is to get engagement from the suppliers and to get a, a a good fair pricing for what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, and what about RFI? Like, I know some companies use an RFI before they get into the RFP and RFQ process. Can you tell us just a little bit about that and whether I mean is that part of it very like necessary or?
2: No, it's it's not necessary per se. It's just really depending on the scope of the project. So obviously, you don't necessarily need to do an RFI for a simple initiative. You're looking for consumables. If you're looking for, say, that ladder again, um, because you generally will have a good understanding of who's out there, or at least a good uh, procurement guy will know who to turn to. Um, but again, if if you got something fairly complex um, that 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 needs some thought, that needs some work to be done. Um, to help the organization, it's, it's, it's pretty important to, to really canvass the market. Um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of organizations, and, and, you know, we'll talk about cowboys, and we'll talk about how the, the salt-of-the-earth kind of people out there uh, operate. You know, you get these uh, plant managers, you get these operations guys that think that they know who the players are in the field. So they go, well, you know, we always go to, you know, at any company to buy this product or we go to this other company to provide this service, you know, my feedback to them is, well, how do you know that they're still one in business or will be in business? And how do you know that there hasn't been a good organization that's, that's popped up that can service you better? So that RFI uh, is, is set up to to open up the uh, the playing field to see who's out there who can answer the call uh, to uh, to what those needs are. So yeah, it's it's definitely important. But again, it really depends on the scope of the project and how how much time and effort you want to put into to really uncover those rocks. If it's a cheap project, if there's not a lot of money or not a large budget, it may not be necessary. But if you're spending you know a few hundred thousand, if not more, on a project, it's well worth the time to go through that process.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, with things changing constantly and, and new companies coming up with new and innovative ideas, I mean, you really want to be on the pulse and, and make sure that you're talking to the right companies that can provide you with everything that you want. So um, on that note, the can you uh, walk us through maybe the guidelines of uh, an RFP and an RFQ?
2: Well, you know, there's a lot of steps involved, and there's a lot of work that's done behind the scenes before a suppliers ever engaged. Uh, So it may be appropriate to walk through that. Internally for an organization, before you you, you go out to market, you really gotta figure out what is it that you're looking for. You know, are you you looking to source something very simple like that liar we spoke about, or are you looking to uh, really change up your environment, such as uh, looking for a new 3PL provider? Uh, so obviously the scopes are very different uh, the, the budgets are very different so internally with the stakeholders uh, what I tend to do is develop a needs assessment you know what is it that we're looking for using the house as an example again you would never ask a uh, a construction company to say, "Hey, look, simply just build me a house. You know, we don't care what it looks like. We don't care how big. But uh, we got a million dollars, and I guarantee they'll still come in over budget." So, even though you haven't defined what it is that you're looking for, somehow, some way, these uh, the suppliers will will uh, will surprise you. So, internally, as you develop that needs assessment, you uh, you prioritize what it is that you would what you really want. Do you want a, a two-story house? Do you want a 3,000 square foot house? What type of doorknobs do you need? All these different things. You rack and stack the importance. From there, your most important items, your must-have requirements, is typically how we would build the RFI. So under that RFI, once we sit down, we identify 20, 30 different vendors, of course, depending on the, 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 the budget. Uh, we'll go out and say, hey, look, here is what we identified as the absolute critical most important things necessary for this project can you meet these these uh, these line items and so we by doing that we can then whittle the list down to a manageable size you know so if, if an organization comes back and say yeah based on um, what you're asking here we, we can't meet you know two-thirds of, of what you're asking for it doesn't make sense to push forward and and do the RFQ, RFP with those organizations. But if they pass that first test, if they pass the muster, so to speak, then it makes sense to to pursue further. And then that's where we get into uh, the RFQ, the RFP. And and also, by the way, that's where we get into the full uh, scope of what we're doing. So where we may release, you know, say, 10 line items, of our needs assessment to the RFI community, we may release a hundred line items uh, saying, "Hey, we need this, we need this. Can you provide this?" And oh, by the way, there's a lot of nice-to-have things in there that uh, that we uh, that we're looking for. Can you also provide those? It may not carry as much weight as uh, as the RFI, um, or or as I'm sorry, it may not carry as much weight as the most highest priority items, but, uh, you know, it's good information to have to, to help uh, delineate uh, organizations. So, uh, all in all, I mean, again, there's a lot of work that's done behind the scenes before an organization is asked to even uh, provide their, their input into what it is that we're looking for. But that homework is absolutely necessary to ensure that uh, when we do go out to the field and we do ask for uh, a solution or a product, uh, we're we're confident that everyone's gonna respond accordingly. Uh, One of the challenges challenges that uh, we do face is when we have a, a very broad scope. So organizations out there will Quite often, you know, they're, they're brilliant. They're, they'll, they'll come up with a good solution, but it may not be what we're looking for. So, if we don't define clearly what it is we're looking for, we may get proposals that are way out in left field. Going, wow, we, why are they giving us this information versus what exactly we're looking for? So, uh, again, once we, we work through that homework, do our due diligence, uh, then I think that it's appropriate to uh, to really engage the community
0: yeah wow, that's that's really great information i think i think it's really nice for everybody to know some of those guidelines you know where to start um, how to start and where to go from there so in your blog you talk about examples of cowboys versus standardized process can you go into that a little bit and maybe um, towards the end, sort of bring it together and talk about, you know, where is the middle? Where where should people really be in this RFP RFQ process when they're when they are going to be delivering that to to vendors and different solution providers to get that information?
2: Sure, sure. You know, the cowboys. I, I use uh, use the term cowboys uh, loosely there. You know, you get these guys, and, and I've worked with a lot of organizations that are in manufacturing. And so you get salt of the earth kind of guys that have been doing it for a long time and they think that they know the industry. And, and for the most part, they really do because they, they've, they've come from the industry, they, they've they worked it. they've, they've seen the, the trials and the issues. But these are also the guys that you really got to watch out for when it comes to purchasing, when it comes to uh, procurement in general. And the reason for that is these are the guys that say hey look I've been working with uh, you know this particular company I know the industry and they're giving us a good rate and uh, they say okay well how do you know that they're giving you a, a good price for whatever service that they're offering they say well we beat them up a lot and uh, we say look we want a 10% concession and that's it so, uh, so when we say you know sharpen your pencil they, they give us a better quote and, and, and they're happy well that's, that's good that, that, that they're pushing for the savings in that, that manner, but they really don't have any benchmark data. They don't really have any information to validate what they're doing. So they just go out there and they, they, they buy the willy-nilly. Now contrast that with uh, an organization that's you know typically like a public trade organization that has very strict uh, internal controls of how they go out and buy. Typically you'll find this in uh, county or governmental type of organizations. It's very process oriented, and that's great too. So you have these organizations that will go through a long process. Um, the bids are very, very formal. They're, they're sealed bids. Uh, they're going out every single Purchase uh, to at least three companies, and uh, and then from there they're they're choosing their uh, their selected supplier. That's appropriate too for a lot of situations, but it's a lot of time and a lot of effort. So where's the middle ground on this? You know, uh, as we look internally, it's it's really coming down to. What it is that we're buying? Are we buying something that is very expensive, or are we looking at a contract for a service that has a, a incredible budget, or are we looking to buy that ladder again? So, if it's a small dollar purchase, you know, even if you beat up somebody for a while, then uh, you know your savings opportunity is very small. So, for instance, if you know, I use this uh, uh, this example in terms of I had a buyer once who would you know, scrutinized and beat up her vendor, and all for, you know, a $50 item. And so she would get on the phone, and she'd say, hey, look, you know, I went to Amazon. I know it's this price, or, you know, I went somewhere else, and it really should be this price. And and she works and works and works it uh, with this vendor, beats them up, and, and, and at the end of the day, she's saving, you know, $5 or so, so she saved 10%. Well, you know, it costs, and labor, you know, a good $30, 40 for her to achieve that because she wasn't working on anything else. For that whole hour, she was working on beating up her vendor. So yeah,
0: absolutely.
2: It's, it's it's crazy when you stop and think, wait a second. So it, it cost us, you know, 10 times more than the savings that you just garnered there. So as, as organizations look at what they're doing, you know, they need to find that, that, that middle ground. Does it make sense to beat up over... The, uh, the smaller initiatives uh, versus spending uh, an inordinate amount of time on the smaller initiatives versus not spending any time at all on the, the important uh, initiatives um, or spending again a lot of time on those important ones. It's it's really balancing out what the return on investment is for that particular project. Now you know on a little side note there, you know when when we talk about these smaller things, these smaller consumable spend, my pushback to these organizations is, you know, we need to stop getting into the habit of, of beating up every single requisition and finding a solution that can provide the right type of support for all these little things that you're buying. So there are companies out there that specialize in consumable spend. So, you know, at the end of the day, you will realize additional discounts based on the volume of product that you're pushing out to that one particular vendor. So all those little nickel and dime type of purchases do add up. But again, you're pushing it to one vendor, and you use that entire combined volume of spend to then go out, so then suddenly, uh, what started as a small budget um, initiative is actually quite large. And uh, in terms of consumable spend organizations, especially manufacturing organizations, uh, it tends to run quite high, so uh, there is some leverage there
0: okay so we've we've talked about um, you know issuing the RFP and I'm just wondering from the other side of the coin when solution providers or vendors are responding to RFPs or RFQs what are the tips and tricks that that you know maybe we can give to some of our listeners that might be on the other side of things and what are companies really looking for um, in a response to an RFP or an RFQ sure
2: sure you know from the uh, suppliers perspective you know, it's very, very critically important to read everything that's in that uh, that uh, RFQ or RFP, because you know, not that every organization does this, but some organizations will bury very specific important uh, line items somewhere deep within the, uh, the the request, and so it's it's important to really understand, take the time to. to Really um, engage with with what's being put out there because if you if you miss a critical point, it may be a go/no go type of, of uh, question, and, and if that's the case, then if you if you answer that wrong because you misunderstood the question, you could be very quickly uh, eliminated from the process, especially when we're talking RFPs, RFQs that have many many types of. Uh, types of companies there. So any way that they can discriminate and and knock out uh, suppliers in early rounds, organizations will so that way they can get down to a manageable number. So if, for instance, if I'm asking uh, in the course of an RFP to provide a warehousing solution and deep in there I'll, I'll put down, hey I need uh, this, uh, this solution to be in XYZ location and that's a requirement. Uh, and this organization that's responding says, or they think that they, they can meet that requirement but they skip that step, if they don't answer that, I'm assuming then that they can't fulfill that need. So because the people that are putting out RFPs uh, are typically working many RFPs at once, again, on when it comes down to evaluating these, uh, these responses, if you're missing a critical point, uh, you'll quickly get put to the other pile, so to speak. Now once you go through, um, in evaluating all the organizations that can or say that they will meet the uh, intent and you still can't find anything, then we may go back to other pile, but the likelihood is very slim just considering the, the time investment that it takes to go through the, uh, the entire initiative. So uh, to, to recap there, it, it's very, very important to to read every line item on, uh, on an RFP, and if something doesn't make sense or if something is great, which, you know, we're all human, sometimes we, we uh, uh, you know, miswrite what we, what we uh, intend, uh, ask questions. You know, there's typically an open period to, uh, to submit questions. Ask as many questions as possible because, you know, you may find that, you know, what they're asking for may not make sense. And so if you ask the right questions, it may change the scope of the uh, RFP, in which case then the the, uh, the, the person pushing out the uh, initiative will, will hopefully issue an addendum and say, oh, by the way, hey, we made a mistake, but based on feedback, here's really what we're looking for. So ask, 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 it's very, very important because once that, that time period closes and they're evaluated, um, you've lost that opportunity to, to clearly define uh, what it is that you're trying to
0: answer. Yeah, that's a really key point because I know in a, a few of the RFPs or the RFQs that I've answered myself, um, there have been a few things that, that didn't make sense, and when I went back and asked the question, um, it almost overturned, you know, you know, that question. So so that's really important, but um, when, is there, when is it too much information? Like, c- can you ever have too much information in your response in an RFP or an RFQ?
2: You can, but um, you know that's why it's really important to, one, answer everything that they're asking first and foremost. So a lot of the uh, RPs I'll put out will, will contain a spreadsheet and within there, they're the mandatory questions I want you to answer. But typically, I'll, I'll allow for a, um, a, a bidder to supply uh, a proposal in addition to what's already being asked. Um, if you're going to submit a hundred page document you have to think of the time uh, that that person is going to want to invest into it uh, versus you know if you're hitting the high points here's what you're asking for here's what we can supply and then oh by the way here's some alternate uh, solutions uh, in a simple-to-read uh, format, I, I really think that that's uh, the most beneficial. The people that are going to read the, um, the responses, first and foremost, is going to be the procurement staff. Secondly, it's going to be your operators um, and uh, your engineers. Now, the engineers and operators, they may like to dig into that, but you got to remember it's the procurement staff that's going to be vetting a lot of these. So if it doesn't make sense to uh, the procurement staff, they're not going to be advocating on your behalf. Um, now, when the engineers get it, they may go, "Oh yeah, this is great. This is this is wonderful information. But, again, everyone's busy. Everyone's working on multiple things in addition to answering uh, and uh, tying up a, a, an RFP or RFQ initiative. So too much information can be overwhelming, and it may not even get read. And, oh, by the way, on your part, on the supplier's part, um, that's a lot of, time and work that you're putting into it. Now, if the payoff is such where this can potentially change the course of your business because this may represent a, a huge uh, uh, opportunity, you know, again, uh, communicate with the coordinators. You know, they may uh, they may say, yeah, go ahead and send it and we will read it. Uh, or, you know what, send us this and this and this, you know, especially at the C-level, um, executive level. They're not going to want to dig into the, 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 the deep uh, nitty gritty stuff. They want the high points. What is it that you can do? How can you help that organization achieve what they're trying to do for the lowest cost? And oh, by the way, uh, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, uh, a lot of organizations won't choose the lowest cost option. It's, it's the option or the, the proposal that best meets the need that they're trying to achieve. Now, government agencies will like to push for lowest cost options, but really it's 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 the total cost of ownership of, of what they're trying to achieve. So if, if on the per unit level it may be more expensive, but you can offer better warranty, highlight that. If you can offer better concessions uh, besides uh, the cost, highlight that. That's what really needs to be put in there, not the, hey, you know, here's how beautiful our landscaping is, here's here's, uh, <laughs> here's all our leadership and every bio that uh, has ever uh, walked through our offices, that doesn't have any value into uh, what it is that they're trying to uh, grade upon.
0: Right, so when you're looking to submit it, actually um, talk to the, the coordinator of the project and, and just say to them, listen, we'd like to add some more information about the company to the questions on the RFP, you know, is that okay? With you is is that how you would approach that or?
2: Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, I found that organizations that communicated uh, early on, it, it gives a sense of hey, they're they're really invested in trying to find the right solution and it's those organizations because you got to think at, at the end of the day you've got to live with this decision. Right. How well are we going to be able to communicate if there should be challenges or, or concerns or problems later on in the process versus an organization that, that is completely hands-off, you know, so yeah. um, you know, living with these decisions means that we've got to essentially marry each other for the, the term of the contract, so uh, communication is always key. Now, there may be strict guidelines in terms of how you communicate in the RFP so make sure you adhere to that such as you don't want to overstep who the coordinator is. You know, that I've had situations where uh, suppliers went directly to our engineering staff to ask questions and there's was, there was strict language in the RFP that said if you bypass the coordinator then that's gonna eliminate you from this process. And they were a great company too, but we had to stick to that because we didn't want any improper communication uh, going out. As you ask questions to the coordinator, it's the coordinator's responsibility to funnel all the answers out to everyone that's bidding to make sure that that the whole event is is done uh, fairly. Because of course, if you ask me a question, and it's critical, and I answer you, but I don't answer the other organizations, those other organizations could challenge the, the, uh, the, uh, the event, the, uh, the results of the RFP. And we see that a lot in the government side. I mean, there were a lot of challenges when uh, the government had put out a, uh, and this is the uh, Air Force some time ago, they put out a um, uh, initiative to replace their uh, refueling tankers. So Boeing and Airbus were, were both uh, submitting, um, you know, million-dollar proposals you know, these are very complex proposals, but um, there are a lot of challenges during the event, just because of, of communication and 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 what was being uh, submitted uh, as part of their uh, their packages there. So again, it, it, you know as you're communicating, definitely go through the the right channels that you're allowed to go to, but that doesn't prevent you from asking all the questions and really um, digging deep into what it is that uh, you're trying to uh, to uh, deliver to them.
0: Wow, such great information and really, really great key points. So is there anything else that you might add to that before we get into um, a couple of questions about supply chain in general?
2: Uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting. The uh, the way that the RFP process has been done and the way that's going in the past or going in the future is that, uh, and I've even uh, transitioned myself, is that it, it went from, a very bloated system of, of Word documents and lots and lots of files and emails and even before then it was here let me physically mail you uh, the request for proposal uh, initiative and so it's, it, it's very time consuming. Um, we're seeing a, a big shift to more online portals uh, being able to access big boards you know in a, a more streamlined approach so uh, as we transition to that, you may see a more hands-off approach, so to speak, because it's, it's becoming more automated. Uh, if, and if that's the case, you know, again, uh, really take the time to try to communicate out to, uh, to organizations that are putting these initiatives out, because otherwise, if, if it's an automated process and it's on an online portal and it's very hands-off, uh, you may uh, miss some, uh, some key opportunities.
0: Yeah, great, great points. You actually pretty much answered the first question I was going to ask you about where do you see supply chain in the next five to ten years. I mean, you were talking about RFPs and or RFQs, but I think you're right. Things are going to get streamlined. They're going to be happening a lot faster, um, and uh, it's all because of technology, and uh, and that's sort of the way of the future. So I'm just going to, you know, ask you sort of one more question before we uh, we sign off here. What top companies are are you following with regards to supply chain and their operations uh, moving into the future, where you see them, um, you know, making some innovative changes and uh, doing things a little bit differently?
2: Yeah, certainly. You know, one of my favorite companies is uh, Tesla and uh, Elon Musk uh, and, and what he's doing over there. The same goes with SpaceX. Uh, he's completely transformed how organizations are are working their supply chain. Uh, you know, a lot of organizations have really pushed out the need to to outsource key manufacturing and, and key components to to various locations. Now, that's great because you may not have the competencies internally to uh, to work it. But um, what happens there is that you're relying very heavily on. Uh, One, other outside agencies to produce whatever product you need. Uh, Two, it's typically in a just-in-time fashion, so you've got to really invest a lot of time and effort to develop those timelines. And as we all know, nothing is on time. So uh, as one supplier may, Overrun their time, it, it has a domino effect on everyone else. And oh, by the way, now you have all these additional costs that start um, piling up on each other because there's markup everywhere in the in the entire supply chain. So what Elon's done is is really internalized a lot of it, and and he outsources very very little of of what it is that uh, he's trying to achieve. Whether it was for SpaceX or for. For Tesla, so um, it's it's just really neat watching that transpire, and obviously, you know, in, in terms of SpaceX, he's able to deliver um, launch vehicles that are coming in at a fraction of what other agencies have have produced. Whether uh, it was uh, it was Boeing or somebody else, it was it's it's amazing to see that come together. And the same goes with Tesla as well, uh, and we're finding that with his lithium batteries and and uh, and how he's. Uh, uh, developing that whole technology. Uh, now, uh, uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, another great company that is Amazon, you know, uh, mm, it, was, it was funny, yeah. just the other day I got a delivery, it was from uh, an Amazon truck, and I go, wow. Oh, really? So they're actually uh, delivering themselves now versus having UPS or FedEx do it. So, they've really started to uh, capture the entire process, and of course, they're building distribution centers Everywhere, And uh, and I remember one time taking a tour of one of these centers and it was just amazing on how large and and complex it was. They really do take uh, a lot of time to um, uh, develop these warehouses, develop the technology within the warehouses, and oh, by the way, uh, develop the uh, delivery system to get all these products to you um, in a fast manner. You know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. I said, hey, remember when we were kids and we would order something, and, you know, I, the disclaimer was always uh, delivery in six to eight weeks.
0: <laughs> yes. Can you,
2: imagine, can you imagine getting something now in six to eight weeks? You would completely forget about it. Yeah. Nobody um, would, uh, would allow that. It's, it's just unheard of to have something take that long. If it takes longer than two days, we're up in arms going, hey, why haven't I gotten my, God, my my, my thing that I just ordered online. Yeah. So um the, the this concept of of having something immediately and we're gonna see a shift with the Amazon um, to, to have delivery same day. I know they're already doing key markets, but uh, we're gonna see that more and more. And they're really pushing for the uh, uh, produce and, and food deliveries as well too. So I mean they may come a point uh, in the future where we don't have to go to the grocery store, we don't have to go to, to Walmart anymore to go to go get what we need, it's it's simply order it and it'll be delivered here in a in a few hours. So you know that's, that's hopefully hopefully the right direction that we're going. You know personally, I, I hate going to the grocery store. So, Me uh, too. I'm, uh, I'm all for uh, for that type of uh, for that type of market. But yeah, to to recap, uh, you know those two companies, while they're they're vastly different, they're just they're they're incredible to watch as as they develop their technologies and develop the uh, and and influence the uh, the supply chain as a whole.
0: Yeah, those are, those are great companies and definitely companies that uh, Nick and I are watching for sure. Well, um, that about uh, does it for our episode today. I want to thank you so much. All of the key points and information that you've shared with us today, I think are really going to go a long way with our listeners. So thanks for joining us today. And, um, yeah, thanks yeah. for being on the show.
1: All right, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. You are not going to want to miss the next guest. We have Barry McGuff, Group Vice President at Innovation Next for PVH. He will be here to talk to us about the amazing things they are doing at Next with wearable technology, the future of connected apparel and how it will affect business specifically related to supply chain. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at listener at chain.com. Just remember, we are all human and ship happens.